You're listening to Were You Still Talking? Hey, welcome back. It is Were You Still Talking? And again, on the Zoom, this is Joel Albrecht. And today we have Brian Meeks, which is a a very special guest. Really happy to have him. He's a full-time author. He's written 19 novels under his name and a pen name. He's written six nonfiction titles, including Mastering Amazon Ads and Mastering Amazon Descriptions, which are the books that led to speaking at author conventions, including Kevin J. Anderson's Superstars and all of the 20 books to 50K conversions. Uh, oh, uh, uh, that, see, that, clearly that's a typo. I, my, oh, I, okay. No, that's I, great. I screwed up the mod, podcast. As you haven't. Not being able to send you a proper bio. <laughs> I love this. This is my best <laughs> intro yet. I, I, that's why I like. Author uh, can't I, write his own bio. <laughs> Without without help from his editing team. <laughs> Neither can I, but I'm not an author. I'm just That's a podcaster. <laughs> do you want me to do it again? I no, could. no, I didn't change anything about that <laughs> okay, intro. It's perfect. It's perfect. It will include all of this well, now. Fantastic. So. <laughs> I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. Really nice to have you. Great to have you. And I was just um, relating to Brian before we started. Actually, we we had uh, several really fun stories that, sorry, folks, you're just going to miss out. But if you're watching this on YouTube, if you're one of the few people who watches the video, he's actually using the same mic that I'm using under my laptop. That is, I'm using the case for his mic under my laptop. So it gets up to the... It's a quality case. (laughs) It is a great case. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, ha- I don't have it within reach, but I, uh, yeah, I've got another one that I could show. But you know, it's great. I I, I like <laughs> good, I like good packaging. <laughs> Me too. Me too. Love it. Love it. And yeah, AKG does a really good job on the packaging and the mic. It's yeah, you, you know that's for that price point. That's a fantastic. We could probably mic. do a show on packaging we because could. the packaging from from my uh, my my ears here was mm-hmm. also delightful. I'm it's I'm one fun. of those people that struggles with keeping my place clean because I don't throw out really good boxes that I will never use again. Apple products, mm-hmm. they come oh. in these wonderful boxes yeah, and I have no need for them. Why do I keep them? But they pile up. And even there are some Apple boxes I have where I no longer have the Apple product. And I, und- I have, <laughs> I'm in the same place, but it's mostly because of my wife. I, uh, and you should keep Apple boxes because they're like two hundred and fifty to five hundred dollars if you really look at the price point of Apple, right? Oh, are they the, just the box. I'm thinking the box is the difference. <laughs> I love Apple products. Don't get me wrong, but yeah. the bo- I think the, a lot of it is the box. You know, it's the well, presentation. It, 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 it is the presentation, and I I have a, a an absolute love hate relationship with Apple. I love their iPads. I mm-hmm. love their iPhones. In fact, my iPhone 7, which you see here, tomorrow, sometime before 9 o'clock, I will be trading in the 7 because I've already purchased and it will be arriving the 12 plus max. I am very excited because I haven't upgraded in you know five generations. Yes, this is what excites me because I have an iPhone 7 plus. And oh, so I, we, we, we have the same phone. Are you getting the We have the, the same phone. I'm not yet because <gasps> the, the price point is a little, 
a little hard for me to swallow. It's not like I couldn't get it, but I have not had the I have not had the approval yet. I'll just put it that way. <laughs> I keep pushing <laughs> for it, but I need it. exactly. Yeah, can, can we work down here on that? Uh, I'd really yeah. like. To, I just I am so passionate about photography. It's something that I love, and I have nice Nikon equipment. Mm-hmm. But the realities are, carrying around a phone with the quality of even the lens on the seven is is wonderful, twelve megapixels. Yeah. But the twelve now has too many new photography features. We really don't have phones with cameras as much as we have cameras with phones because we we really have a computer with a phone. Yeah, I mean, yeah. people for I mean, it's a computer. It's not. Don't don't fool yourself. Yeah. This yeah, is it, an iPad. It it's just smaller. It, it you is. know it's. It's except for the iPad Pro. Now that's a whole, that's a whole new game. That's a game changer. But uh, yeah, interesting <laughs> We're on this topic. Well, and uh, me too. I, I, when I upgrade, it's for the camera. It's for the camera, yeah. and I'm the same way. I love the and, pictures. And the, new, and the new ones improvement with low light. That is a real draw for me because I enjoy mm-hmm. photography. Everyone who likes photography loves the golden hour. The golden hour is the last hour or two before sunset when the the natural light is the warmest on the kelvin scale but then you get to beyond the golden hour where there's not quite enough light and having that enhanced processing power and the magical things they do is going to let me get some shots that previously didn't really turn out that great so i am i am tomorrow's christmas I don't care. Right. Calendar That's says great. eleven great. thirteen is Christmas for Brian. Mm, I'm I'm do I have the office, opposite experience tomorrow. I actually had to oh, no. go into hyper mode today because my um, oral surgery got moved up. So instead oh, of getting a new iPhone, <laughs> I'm going in. <laughs> yes, I'm going in to have a surgeon work on uh, extracting a tooth, a wow. tooth that's deep inside my head, and. Uh, Oh, and oh, an interesting, sounds- interesting fact: my t- your teeth aren't part of your body, according to insurance. <laughs> <laughs> Not according to science or the medical professionals, no, or my or pain. I mean, pain or, will tell you teeth are part but, of you. But according well, to insurance, I, you know, I I think this no no this moment here is the beginning of a beautiful friendship because I you're clearly fun to talk with. One thing you're going to learn about me should we have future conversations it's almost impossible for you to say something that doesn't remind me of a story. And I have an oral surgery story, if I may. Oh my gosh, of course you may. This is in fact a a podcast and I'm a lazy podcaster. So the more (laughs) stories you do, the more you talk, the better it is for me. The year is 1985. (laughs) A young high school senior has an appointment on Friday to get his four wisdom teeth cut out. He also has a crush on Jill Dasher, a cute sophomore, an adorable sophomore who he knows is going to be at the basketball game that night where Ames is playing their arch rival Valley. I, the massive crush I had, well, I knew about the appointment on Monday or Tuesday and I told my mom, I said, you know, after the surgery, which was around 10 or 11 in the morning, I was missing school for it. I said, that's great because then I can 
go to the game tonight. She, and my mom, a, an RN who knows a thing or two about surgery said, yeah, you're not going to feel <laughs> like going anywhere after having four wisdom teeth cut out. And I said, oh no, I'm going to the game. And she said, well, you're not going to drive because the pain meds they give you are pretty potent. And I said, that's fine. I won't take them. She said, your optimism is, is nice, but <laughs> well, oh, so wow. I go in, have the surgery. And of course they, they knock you out for, for, for what was being done to me. That's what I'm looking forward to. Yeah. The, the, I, I wake up at home, take a nap, get up, I don't know, three, four in the afternoon. I mean, it was a long nap, but it was pretty well knocked out. And mom said, would you like some of the, the stuff with the codeine in it, the good stuff? I said, nope, I'm good. Never took the drugs. <gasps> wasn't, still wasn't allowed to drive, but uh -huh. I walked to high school, went to the, the basketball game, had a lovely evening. It was fine. I, I never got the girl. That's not the point. The point is I, over the course of Monday through Friday, mentally psyched myself up so much to go to that game just to possibly hang out and flirt with Jill Dasher that I just never had any pain. None. I, there, there wasn't you know, some dryness, uh, but four teeth cut out, zero pain. My brain completely blocked it. So that's kind of, it's kind of interesting, the power of what our minds can do. That is awesome. I, I mean, I love hearing those stories because I mean, it, it really married, does. So, it, so know, I, <laughs> I'm probably not going to be <laughs> there, using there, that technique. you've got going for you. It's going to be awful. But, you know, if, if you were in high school uh, but and the girl out of your league you really liked, you, yeah. you know, tomorrow wouldn't be so bad. Sometimes it seemed to me, too, that things were different when I was in high school. How so? I was able to take a little bit more pain than I am now. Oh. And I, <laughs> I was able to, to you know, and, 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 and you heal you, like overnight. You literally, you know, when you're in high school, you, you just heal so fast. But I, 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 I still generally do. And I am pretty hyped up about it because I've been in pain. The pain is not severe, but now that I've seen what, what the, what's causing the pain, um, maybe it won't be nearly as bad as I'm making well, it out to be. It, it, Let's it's hope. going to be... It's going yeah. to be good moving forward. It will be. Yeah. Well, let's, ha let's have fun today for tomorrow will be. <laughs> that, was, that was my thing is that doing this really is going to help take my mind off things. <laughs> it's really going to help a lot. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, I will, that was the last tooth related story of the okay. show. For that's all of you dentists. That's enough. And dental hygienists and that tuned in today, your part's over. Thanks for listening. And thanks for that story. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> the dentists. Uh, that's mostly my audience. Yeah, dentists I, and oral I, I surgeons. That. That's a big, big one. A so lot of you, people out there are probably wondering how we so closely coordinated the outfits for today's show. The, 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 going with the red. Uh, this was uh, this was complete happenstance. It just it, it, don't you always wear red the day before Friday the thirteenth? <laughs> I, I, I might. <laughs> I, I have I have a lot of red shirts. It's it's a color I like. Which I have been told by mostly women who, who would never consider dating me anyway, but know a thing or two about fashion that I have the exact wrong skin tone for wearing red, that I should never wear red. Blue is good for me. Browns are good for me. But red is the fashion equivalent of a war crime 
when it comes to my skin complexion. And yet, I grew up a, a Cincinnati Reds fan. Oh, uh, okay. Well, I loved the big red go. machine in, in the 70s. In 1971, I was four years old. The Reds lost to the Oakland A's. I cried. It was my first sports-related tears. And so I've just always loved red. And, and the Cincinnati Reds, I have lots of red hats. And doesn't matter what my skin skin tone is like. <laughs> doesn't matter. Doesn't, doesn't make matter. any difference. I no. like red too. Like, yeah, it's a great color. You've, you've got great better color. skin tone. I, I, got, I think I think that's the point of today's episode. It's the filtering. I'm I've got a lot of filtering oh. going on. <laughs> And in in true confession, I realized when I looked at last week's podcast that the the red looks better in the lights that I'm currently using the extremely inexpensive lighting. So somehow the red, because darker colors, you get washed. So that's part part of what. Yeah, the light. What's it may just have a a better uh, Kelvin temperature for what you're doing. Uh, The light light that I I have here is is not great. I oh well, part of it. I see here. Yeah. Okay. Everyone who's just listening to the podcast and not necessarily paying attention, check that something great is about to happen to the, look at that. I just Ooh. improved the quality. And all I did was on my other monitor, I have mm-hmm. Photoshop up with the full screen is black. And so I was getting that whitewash from the Zoom app. So the Zoom right. app was over here. And, was, and I just noticed that. And so then I, I went to the Photoshop and oh, magically it's, fixed. It's amazing what a little difference, what little yeah. difference to make, a little difference. I've been, I am, I'm part of a, a group on Facebook called Crew Stories, and it's just what it sounds like. It's the stories of crews on movies, and oh. there is a lot. They um, post pictures of stuff they've worked on, or sometimes not what they worked on, but but other crews that they've worked with. Sure. And they're just amazing because they like there was just a bunch of pictures from Lonesome Dove the series, and so oh. it, it showed a bunch of their setups, you know, and it, brilliant yeah, series. Yeah, I really well, love that series. True to form, though I'm not in the movie industry, I do have a crew story. Would you like to hear about the time? I was nearly killed by a roadie from Pink Floyd. Oh, of course. So I am on the local uh, loading crew for Pink Floyd Stadium show in Ames, Iowa at Jack Trice Stadium. And this was in my youth. I don't know. I was maybe 26, 27. Everything's going great. At that point in my life, I didn't have a fear of heights. The first thing we did, we're, we're getting the stage ready. And the stages, for, for those that have never set up a stadium show, they have all the, 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 the trestles and the, uh, the stuff that holds all the speakers and all that. And then above it, they put a dark mesh that is just sort of a, a ceiling to it. You don't really notice it in the audience. It's just... It's 53 feet, in this case, 53 feet, nine inches above the stage, this dark mesh. And the thing about the dark mesh is that they tie it off on the corners, but then there's all these little hand ties that you need to do across the whole thing. And they needed somebody who wasn't afraid of heights. And I wasn't. And so I just, I crawled up there and I'm just walking across the top of the thing. I have extraordinary balance. The thought of it now makes me queasy. But I had no problem. I tied off the whole thing, 
some of the actual Pink Floyd crew gave me props. And so I got it done really quickly and, and I'm down now on the stage and I'm helping, I've got this huge uh, bar and it's got a ratchet and I'm ratcheting down one of the cables that is tied to the balloons that explode out during the show and, and the, the, the giant characters. And so I'm, I'm wenching one of those down. And so I'm bent over, sort of like, like 90 degrees, putting all my weight on this. And all of a sudden, bam, I am flat on the stage. I, it's, it's, my wind's been knocked out. No idea what happened. One of the actual roadies from 53 feet, nine inches above me had a wrench that was this big and he had forgotten to clip it to his belt. So when it slipped out of his hands, this wrench plummeted to the ground and hit me, just missed my spine. And it was like somebody had taken a sledgehammer and, and dropped me. They, they, they said if it had hit my spine, I would have been completely paralyzed, hit me in the head, it would have killed me instantly. As it was, they paid me for the rest of the day and gave me free tickets to the show. So oh, I, did, man. I, I was not killed by Pink Floyd's road crew. It was a great show. Mm -hmm. There was a little bit of a bruise, but the real value was I got a story out of the deal. Definitely. Man, that's quite a story. And you're uh, extremely lucky. Extremely lucky. That That's amazing. It, it, it wasn't my time. Well, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I believe that too. I. I've always been one of those people that when they everyone says, "Well, he went before his time," I think, "Well, but he went, so isn't you know. that his time?" <laughs> <laughs> Where do you pick up the schedule on that? Is, is that a, yeah, a website? Exactly. exactly. Probably. Uh, well, you know, today he, they he, he died last Tuesday. Ironically, he was supposed to die on Thursday. Right. He got right. How is two that? Days. Not. Yeah, doesn't seem possible to me. But you know, that's. <laughs> I'm it's sure it's could, always before I, I, our time. The, yeah. uh, the, 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 you know, when you hear an actor dies, he died at 80. Oh, I would have liked him to live to 82 and done another movie. Or, right. You, I mean, like uh, Helen Alec? Mirren. I hope mm -hmm. Helen Mirren has another 100 years in her. Yeah. Because I will watch every movie she does. Mm -hmm. A One of our species' great treasures. Helen Mirren is is fantastic, and I don't know our, I don't know what you like to read as far as nonfiction. But are you familiar with Peter Diamandis and Stephen Kotler's work, Rise of Superman? The future is faster than you think. They're they're sort of futurists. I don't know if you've oh I'm not. I've heard of those books. I'm okay. familiar with them. I haven't read them yet. I well they're they're absolutely brilliant. Mm -hmm. But but they're both futurists and. Their newest book, The Future is Faster Than You Think, talks a lot about the advances in technology as it re relates to longevity. There are literally dozens of companies all doing their own thing, but they're working towards the same goal of curing death. Because there is good reason to believe that our life expectancy as it is can be vastly improved. According to their one of their earlier books, the human life expectancy, meaning your life expectancy, my life expectancy, is increasing every day by four hours. 
Meaning that if you knew when your time could go was six days ago, that schedule's been updated and it's one day later. Well, in this newest book, they talk about the tipping point and not necessarily for the masses because their books are about technology and the speed of change in technology, the speed in going from first gen, horribly expensive to incredibly inexpensive. You mentioned the phones. These are vastly more powerful than the ones that put men on the moon and and less expensive. And so initially it won't be, this technology won't be available to everyone, but over time it will get cheaper. The point being, they say the tipping point where we will get to 24 hours, meaning you, you use a day and your life expectancy increases by a day. So for all intents and purposes, immortality in 12 years. That's this is how far away they think the tipping point is for a small percentage of the population that will be able to afford the, the things that one needs to, to take advantage of that. But I, I plan to live to 350. This is really fascinating to me, and I'm not sure if I want to live to 350 or not. It kind of, I mean, I'm, I might want it. I, not that well, I, you're, you're imagining I, uh, a 349-year-old being somebody that is an episode of Tales of the Crypt. I'm talking about when I hit 300, wow, he looks like a man of 65. Yeah, okay. And so it's, it is By about or- cell regeneration, tele, uh, telomeres in our cells, making them longer. And this is all science that is way over my head, but I, I like their books and I, I devour them. And so uh, there's, there's nothing better than a podcast with an author who comes on and just sells the heck out of other people's books. That's true. I'm sure <laughs> <laughs> the other authors if, love if, it. <laughs> if you read one book this year, don't read one of mine. Go, uh, mm-hmm. go uh, check out Peter Diamandis. I mean, these guys, these guys are truly staggering giants in the industry as far as their writing. And I had this wonderful experience uh, late last year. I don't remember the exact month, but I'm a huge fan. Mm-hmm. I, I, every one of their books that comes out, I get it on Audible. I consume it multiple times. Well, my book, since you know, I am on this podcast, I should mention it. Mastering Amazon Descriptions, which is the one about writing descriptions that are designed to better sell your books because on the Amazon page, we have that little spot where we talk about the book and nearly every author does it wrong and or every publisher. Mm-hmm. Whether it's traditionally published, indie, they do a summary of the book and it's not that interesting. It's not great copywriting. I have worked for three years in developing a methodology of copywriting that gets readers to want to read the book vastly more often than the norm. And so that that's kind that is what I do. I, I write a lot of descriptions for authors. It's how I make my living now more even than the fiction because I'm a former data analyst for Geico where a 15 minute call could save you 15% on your auto insurance. <laughs> and, and so the, What's that? I haven't heard that before. Yeah, it's, that, I was in the marketing department and, and our mantra was, you know, try to keep that on the down low. We don't, we don't want that getting out. Pay no <laughs> yes, attention to the apparently. hundreds of millions of dollars we're spending on ads. <laughs> we, we don't want it to get out that a 15 minute call could save you 15% on your auto insurance. And so 
I, I built up some expertise in this, this one area. Well, two, the, the Amazon ads, but now the descriptions. And mm-hmm. this is why I speak at these conferences and so forth. And I, a guy reaches out to me and it turns out he's the personal assistant for Stephen Kotler, my hero. And I got to have a 90 minute Zoom call with my hero at his request. Awesome. It awesome. was awesome. We hit yeah. it off immediately. And the beautiful thing was he, he wanted to know about the copywriting. And so I was telling him the theory, what I had studied. I have lots of data and how I had moved from one in 30 conversion rate, meaning 30 author or 30 readers mm-hmm. need to see your page before one of them decides they want to read the book down to one in 12. And then how I moved to one in eight to one in 10, we talked about the process. And so I'm, I'm telling him about the data and the background and his knowledge base is such that with each thing he said, Oh my, that makes complete sense because in the hippocampus and so then he starts using words that are not in my vocabulary, but he knew I could explain the math of why it worked. And he knew the brain side of why it works. So we had this amazing conversation and it's, it's just pretty cool to get to meet one of your heroes. And I told him about midway through that the fact that I wasn't screaming like a teenager at a Beatles concert was a sign of great restraint on my part. It was, it was all you could do to do that. It was all yeah. I could do. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, that seems, that makes a lot of sense to me because I just went to this uh, influencer summit where I was just trying to get ideas for moving my podcast forward. I have no desire to be an influencer, but apparently anyone in this world who wants to move something like a podcast or a blog or, you know, a page they have on Facebook, sure. they have to be some, you know, that's something they have to kind of look into is what these people do. And one of the main one, one of the main people they talked to who very successful was a copywriter. And, you know, he had, it was the same thing. He really talked about how important it was to get your message out in a way that people are interested in reading. And, um, it, it, that, you know, that is a hundred percent true. Yeah. And that's something that very few authors, and like I said, with the exception of the description for Battlefield Earth, L. Ron Hubbard. That's a traditionally published book, and I rewrote the description. They immediately saw an improvement in conversion rate. Now, this book has been out for 37 years, something like that. So mm-hmm. it's yeah. it's not marketed anymore. It's right. Just One of the worst there. movies of all time. One of the worst movies of all time. But the book <laughs> but is not considered book. <laughs> a science fiction classic. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so yeah. if, if people go check out Battlefield Earth, the, the oldest, well, the, the old description obviously is not there. And admittedly, they put a bunch of stuff at the bottom because they just couldn't help themselves. But I, 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 made, I made it sell more books. It gets a lot of wow. organic traffic and they sell more now than they did. And, and maybe they were selling one a day and now they're selling three a day. But they're, they're, they're not changing anything different about it. And it's just a better stream of revenue. Mm-hmm. The, the concept mm-hmm. here, and this is where anybody listening, like you said, whether you want to be an influencer or you just want to have a podcast about guinea pigs, it's nicer to have people interested than not. And so as it, you're telling your friends, well, I've just decided to start a podcast and I'm going to talk about guinea pigs and my guinea pig Ferrari and we're going to maybe do tricks. Well, the way we reach 
our circle of influence, which is in, in the case of Facebook, the people we're connected to, is we put a post. It's a simple thing. But I want people to think about the way they use Facebook. If you're on and you see your best friend from high school has just put up a post and it's a single paragraph of 15 lines without any breaks, just a giant block of text. Well, he was your best friend. He gets a like or a love because that's the deal. He does not get your time to actually read the post because 15 lines is war and peace in the world of social media. Our attention spans are so horribly fractured. We scroll and like and love and scroll and move. And we're just looking for that. Is it dopamine hit? The, uh, when, when yeah, get, yeah, that's uh, that's it. It's dopamine. It, it's yeah. I even well, I even that, slowed well, down on liking and loving things just because of after watching the the social dilemma on Netflix. I, I haven't but watched that yet. People recommend it, but it, yeah, it's it, it's interesting. It's about how AI uses what everything you do on social media to sell you stuff. But it, it's a, a whole other subject. But it um, oh, speak okay because naturally this is the point in the show where I'd like to transition to table tennis um okay i've got a story about two weeks ago i'm talking to my best friend on the phone she and i we talk all the time mm-hmm. we, we don't chat that much on facebook we occasionally but mostly if something cool happened in her life she calls me or i call her and so we're talking and this is a woman i've been friends with for 34 almost 35 years we've known each other a long time and we both like to compete. We both enjoy epic trash talking. And for several years, we've been talking about playing table tennis. And she called me because the rec center, not far from, well, both of us, she lives about 15, 20 miles from me, but there's one that's sort of in the middle is now open again. It had been closed for a while because of COVID-19. Uh-huh. But the ping pong tables are available. All right. And That's- so she called. And in fact, on Saturday, we are going to Pong. I have two mm-hmm. paddles. They're both, I mean, we're talking, this is this is a quality table tennis bat here. This is, it's about $250 worth of Whoa. table tennis bat here. So when I, when I say we're serious about this game, I am not kidding. And I've got then my backup paddle that she will use. And she's already called me on that and said that, you know, we're playing two games because we're going to switch the paddles in between games. So she gets to use the best paddle once and I get to use it once. But the point is, all this is going on over our iPhones. This is not on social media. An hour later, I got a table tennis paddle ad on Facebook. Now I am on Facebook all the time and I know how the, the tracking pixels work. Mm -hmm. Well, I've used tracking pixels. I've tracked other people, but you really know the phone. This, this, this was the same thing. thing. It it, it just is staggering. You are basically somewhere along the line, but this isn't text. You you gave voice on the phone. Oh, this is voice. Yeah, I noticed. Voice. This Mm -hmm. was not text. I I understand text that when you're texting, they read everything. But this was me talking. This is what this is what Siri is really about. 
Oh, well, and, this is okay. literally, you know, Siri and what's the Amazon but, one? Okay. I, I don't hey, know. Their, their marketing is terrible. Okay, um, I have. So she the, is always listening. She is. She is. See? Is always listening. See. Uh, <laughs> see, the thing is, you can turn yes. it off. What would you, you like me to buy? Siri, it, you can turn Siri off so she's uh, not always listening. But every time they do an update. They flip her back on. They flip her so back she, on automatically. And I've it, heard, I don't know if this is true because I don't work for Apple, but I've heard from, you know, documentaries and, and AI people that turning her off means she won't bother you. Oh, it means when you say, hey, so Siri, evil. she won't answer. It doesn't that mean she's so literally evil. off. It oh, is. is so it's evil. it's scary stuff. It's it's um you know marketing has gone to a level we could, we never imagined, and that's the yeah. real. Uh, I don't know if you've ever read um, Sapiens. Have you ever read that book? No, no I've uh, okay. heard the title, but I don't know anything about it. Um, another another author that's very much he, he really talks about the human race, and he has several books about um, how we as humans operate. So how we operate as a society, as tribes. Sure. Uh, different things that happen like that. And so he actually talks a lot about artificial intelligence and the the kind of um, dangers there. I mean, there's a lot of good things about artificial intelligence. I mean, they're helping people with surgery and things, but oh, sure. there there are some, you know, there are some real dangers of the amount of control it can have over people without without you having any idea, which is what we're seeing with what you just talked about. Yeah. It's like, it literally well, is. Fortunately going, though, I love table tennis. So I don't yeah. mind. So you don't, that. you don't mind that. But yeah. You're right. It's, but it goes a little further they're, than they're that. They're listening all the time. And <laughs> like, yeah, that's, that's a little disturbing. I, I would imagine we can turn our phones off and put them in another room. I mean, it, you, it's, it's, it's never true. been done before. Right. I, I'm not sure how you do it's it. It's right. Because we, <laughs> uh, as you probably know, we are very addicted to our devices. So we of are, course right? we can turn our phones off, but actually doing it, like I've, I've just tried to cut down to an hour a day and I put an alarm on my phone when I'm done with that hour. And, uh, especially now that I've, um, Oh, it was the election that did it. Um, sure. An event happens, and suddenly that hour is going off, you know, in the yeah. first two hours of the day. Well, so it's interesting how if you actually track what you're doing, it's like, oh, my God, I used, I picked this up so much. It's my idea out. of cutting down is I, I had been living on the Las Vegas Strip prior to the zombie apocalypse. And when I moved back, I brought my computer, but only two of the five monitors. So oh, instead of having yeah. five monitors, I have two. That's uh -huh. my idea of cutting back. Am I right. still sure. plugged in 14 hours a day? Yes. But I'm plugged in only on two monitors, not five. I missed the other three. I'm I, not sure if that's really cutting back. That, 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 that's not really <laughs> not the definition really. of cutting back. It, it, no. it is the, the loosest definition possible cutting back as I, someone who does audio video uh um, to, to some extent uh, and and sometimes well actually i do artwork too because i do my own artwork for the show so i understand five monitors now i, I oh, used yeah. to wonder i'm also a flight sim enthusiast so oh, nice. I, I definitely get having a lot of monitors i used to always think why do people oh i get it i totally yeah, understand well, for, for me because i do so much with authors mm-hmm uh, four, maybe I guess it's five years now, four or five. I, they all run together 
I think it was 2015, late 2015, when I quit my day job and went full-time as an author. I was making about 10 times what I made at my horrible, well, it wasn't a horrible day job. It was a low-paying day job. And on one particular day, I I had a part-time virtual assistant who worked a few hours a week for me, but I had some things that needed to get done that day. And so I hired her and she worked an eight-hour day. I was paying her $20 an hour. Towards the end of the day at my rental job, Big Ten Rentals in Iowa City, which he, the owner's a friend, it's a great, great rental store, loved it. But I got to the end of the day and realized I'd put in an eight-hour day at $13 an hour, paid somebody else $20 an hour to do the work I would have been doing had I not been at my job. I'm the son of a mathematician, and that was not a horribly difficult thing to suss out. Well, you're out. Uh, so that, that's when I put in my notice, and I became a full-time author. For a number of years, I focused on fiction. Then I switched over to nonfiction when I started teaching authors about using advertising to drive your sales. I am an extremely average author. I put out books that are pretty good. I have friends who put out books that are great. The point being, my fiction, most all of my books I think are between 4.0, 4.1, and 4.3, 4.4 as far as the fiction, the reviews on Amazon. My nonfiction are typically 4.6, but they're not you know, 4.6, 4.7, fiction. And, and they don't need to be. My mm-hmm. best year was $107,000. I drove those sales through using Amazon ads. And I did it at a time that very few people were having success with Amazon ads, which led to me starting the group and teaching people about that. And that's when I found my passion was more working with authors. Now, m- my books now barely sell at all because I just don't spend the time I needed to, or I need to, to do that work. Instead, I spend the time on the copywriting. And I kind of want to bring it back to that because I was using that example on Facebook when we talked about the giant block of text doesn't work. That being said, what does work is hooks. And a hook is simple. Everybody listening knows what a hook is because you've been hooked. You've been on CNN you scroll down to the bottom and you've seen where it says, you won't believe what Ali McBeal looks like today. And you sigh, oh, I know that if I click, I'm going to have to go through 40 pages of old photos before I get to the today photo. And she probably won't look any different. And I will believe it, but I've got to know. And so you click and that is a hook. In the book business, there's, most people know the term above the fold that comes from print publishing newspapers. You have a folded newspaper and the part that is above the fold is what most people see. So you want your biggest story there on Amazon. The above the fold is the read more line. You have just an instant to get their attention enough that they don't click away because the person ironically is shopping for a book which they are going to take 
into a corner away from the kids, away from the dog. They're going to sit quietly for several hours uninterrupted and enjoy is not in the reading mind space. They're in the social media mind space. So while they're there trying to pick out their next book, they're doing it the same way they do on social media. Like, love, move on, scroll, click on a, a book cover that looks cool, spend a tenth of a second looking at the description page, not even clicking read more, and getting distracted and going to something else. So we need to get them to stop. They need to stop and take 15, 20 seconds to read your description and the first step is we need to get them to click read more. And so the opening hook is the key element. And I tell people, well, here, here's an opening hook from my book, Henry Wood Detective Agency. It's 13 words. It also includes an improperly used ellipse. Henry knew one thing, dot, dot, dot. Blank line, line two. Dames were trouble, period. Blank line, third line, would this client be the exception? Question mark. It's only 13 words. It's barely there, but the first line, Henry knew one thing, dot, dot, dot. That is so short that if you look in the middle of the line, your brain processes those four words and those three little dots as one. It's instantaneous. And nobody is going to click away at the dot, dot, dot. The eye, we're, we're way too curious a species. And so we go to the next line, dames were trouble. Well, dames, okay, there's a lot of information in that. Nobody has used that word in 50 years. The covers are deco. So it sets the stage for the time period of the book. Well, again, dames were trouble. Well, what's that about? They're going to go to the next line. Would this client be the exception? Question mark. Again, it's really hard to not click read more after a question mark. And so, so they, they, they do, and they, and they go on, and they read the rest of the description, and it converts at one and eight. Typically, most descriptions, or even the Henry Wood description, converted at one and 30 to one and 35 on my original description. And if people are curious, they can go to the print version of Henry Wood Detective Agency and read it because the original horrible description is still there because I do a lot of podcasts and I tell that story and I like people to be able to see what an abomination it was. Mm -hmm. But all this comes back to what you're doing. You need a description on YouTube. Anything that you're, you're involved in with words, you can use a hook. And I do that on Facebook with everything. I had a post the other day and it started out, it was, it's been three days, dot, dot, dot. Blank line, next line, dot, dot, dot. I now use back-to-back -back ellipses, which will kill punctuation Nazis. Grammar Nazis are more common, but there are mm -hmm. some punctuation Nazis out there, and that will absolutely... I've got one or two a. of those on, on my page, and I, yeah. I try to ignore them, but sometimes I just play with them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> but, but the point is, I don't care about the rules. I care about successfully getting people to read my stuff. And so this, this was the post. It's been three days, dot, dot, dot. Next line, or blank line, next line, dot, dot, dot. I think the clothes in the dryer have learned their lesson, period. And then I, I forget what came after that, but then I, I wrote, because I like using Facebook to practice writing humor. I, I get, I, I literally usually get 100 
or so likes and loves and 30 to 60 comments with my Facebook post because I use proper copywriting. People know that if I put something on Facebook, it's probably going to be funny. There are people, Facebook friends, and admittedly, I'm at like 47, 4,800 on my friends list. Most of them are authors. A lot of them are in my groups as well. Mm -hmm. But they know that I don't ever post political stuff. There's almost always a laugh or two in my posts. And sometimes I will write things that are a thousand words on a Facebook post. And I get just as many likes and loves because I am drawing the reader in. There's a cadence to it. I never have paragraphs more than three lines. There, I, I use hooks to connect them up. I use open loops. You'll never believe what happened. But before I tell you that story, let me tell you about the, the wooden spoon I bought. I got a wooden spoon about a week ago and it's really working out well for me. And so I'm constantly practicing the art of copywriting in everything I do. If any interaction, I don't know if you notice this, but in our interactions on Facebook chat before we started this, I use blank lines. Everything is small, it's digestible. And because of that, I've become really good at copywriting. And so my point being to anyone listening, if you do anything, if you've got a YouTube channel, if you have dreams of making your Etsy store popular, if you try to think like a copywriter and have hooks and just make your friends and family engage with the content you put up that has no ulterior motive, there's nothing you're selling, it's just the fun. You need to share that chef salad you had at lunch. Share it with a little bit of writing that is long enough that they have to click, you know, to see more. And that will make you a good copywriter. You know, I think I see a lot of people on, uh, not a lot, a few people on my Facebook feed that do this naturally. It's just kind of a natural ability they have. And I've sure. also seen other people like yourself who have done this very purposefully. And it, it totally makes sense to me. It makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, I'm just, that. it's kind of why I have two pages. I have a, a personal page and I have a professional page that's air quotes sure. for people not watching the video. Um, and that's really somewhere in my mind. That's what I knew that that's, that's what it was for. Do you have more than one Facebook page or you just have well, I a have, page oh, and group? Yeah, I have, I have, I have more than I keep track of. So uh -huh. I obviously have me, just my personal account. Mm -hmm. I have two Facebook groups, Mastering Amazon Ads, Mastering Amazon Descriptions. I have a page for Mastering Amazon Ads. I have, I think, four pages or three pages for three of my books and then a group for, I think, the mystery series. But admittedly, all the things other than the two that are for authors, I don't do much. I, I, and if you're not active in them, they just kind of sit there. But I have those right. two. And then right. I also have... Uh, mastering weight loss for authors because I have over the last three years twice gone from 215 to 16 down to 192. I did that in Las Vegas when I was living on the strip and I would I have a Fitbit and I would walk every day, 20,000 steps. I changed my diet to keto. I found that eating healthy food is easy if you live on the Las Vegas strip because you can go out to dinner and get something that is absolutely good for you 
and delicious. It's expensive, but if you've got the money and you decide you want to spend money on your health, living on the Las Vegas Strip is great for that. And so twice I did this. And authors, one of the things we suffer from is we spend a lot of our time in our desk chair and we're not motivated to get up and move around. Well, it's a little group, a couple hundred people. But then the zombie apocalypse hit. Mm-hmm. I, It's not inexpensive to live on the strip. I loved it. It was worth every penny. But when all the casinos and restaurants shut down, it's not worth $2,300 a month to live on a closed down strip, especially if you, you happen to have a house that's paid for. So oh, okay. in Iowa- so that was waiting for you. It, it was waiting for me. It was closed up. It, it's fine. It's it's a little bit of chaos because uh, when I moved back, I just kind of threw stuff everywhere. But the uh, it's been a double-edged sword. On one end, I'm saving so much money a month that after five months, I bought a, a used truck. I've always wanted a full-size truck. And I have a lovely Ford F-150 2005 that I've named Katarina. She's red. She's delightful. <laughs> More red. All right. More red. Exactly. <laughs> I love her so much. The downside, though, is I went from 192 back up to 216.8. And it's because when you live in a town of 252 people in rural Iowa, hard as it may be to believe, there are fewer interesting things to see on a walk compared to Las Vegas. See, this is interesting because uh, my wife and I moved. I'm in Eugene, Oregon. We moved here from L.A. Oh. Uh, it's been quite a few years now. But this moving here, it's a town of a, a hundred and seven, about 180,000 now. So with a college. With a, a co- college. So it does yeah. have some culture. It actually has a <laughs> opera house where they have a lot of interesting, used to, have a lot of interesting events. Uh, you know, Seinfeld would stop by here on his, on his tours, things good. like that. Um, I, I happen to be a fan of opera. Oh, I, cool. I, yeah, I, I, yeah, I love uh, Enrico Caruso is is my favorite yeah. tenor. He's a genius. Uh, I mean, we, he's dead, but... They rarely have opera there, but they do. They have ballet and they do have opera and they have a lot, um, you know, uh, Broadway shows. But anyway, sure. the difference from LA to here was, I thought this was, you know, nothing was going on here. So I can't, it's hard to imagine a town. 180,000 is still more than 252. It's a lot more than 252. 252 when I live here. So you know, <laughs> you must know everyone. You I, must I know, know everyone I, in town. In fact, yeah. I, I'm in the house that was my grandfather's house in town. Uh, five, oh, I guess about seven years ago. Well, I, no, it's, ah, I have no idea. A long, long time ago. Uh, I decided to move back to Iowa. Maybe, maybe been ten or twelve years. I have no concept of time anymore. I'm going to live to 350. I don't need to pay. Oh for yeah, that. so you don't need to cut yeah. the days. And the, we we have a, a farm outside of town. We still have the original 40 acres that was homesteaded 150 or 60 years ago. Uh, when my grandfather was alive, the farm was a bit bigger. When he retired from farming at 70, they moved into town. Now. We've been in Jones County as a family, the Meeks family, farming here for, like I say, a century and a half. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a small town. It's always been a small town. Well, it's interesting. My grandfather, who passed away at 96, now, it, it was not before his time. Because when a male was born in Jones County, 
the year he was born, the life expectancy was 57. So 57 was his time. He made it to 96. And for those who are familiar with gambling, he covered the over. He covered, yeah, big time. Big time. Uh, You know, the interesting thing about that, about those stats, is that when he was born, a whole lot of people were dying in farm accidents, factory accidents, uh, polio, polio. You get a tooth like this, you're probably yeah. going to die. Yeah, you're probably going to die. It's an, in, Tomorrow, it's an I mean, impacted tooth. You probably tooth, got at least a right? 30% chance of living through it. <laughs> at, at least, at right? At least. Oh, by the way, if I don't come back on the podcast, it's really been great Last having episode. you as an audience. <laughs> <laughs> you never, there's, you know, there was always a chance. I'll speak of you, Fonda. Oh, I don't uh, remember. I was on you, his last show. Uh, there, oh, I, that'll be nice. I really I predi- appreciate I predicted that. his demise. I appreciate that. <laughs> Well, it's interesting because when you you're talking about living to 350, uh, there are probably treatments now, and I know there will be very soon, where they could just inject uh, stem cells into the tooth and repair it. And you know that's the kind of thing I think you're referring to is th- these type of treatments, um, not even getting into the nanobots that they're talking about putting in your body to repair cells and get rid of things like cancer and and really all the different aging well, and, things. And there's He's no longer there, but there was a men's room attendant who worked at the Tilted Kilt on the link in Las Vegas, which is a a side street, walking street. And at the Tilted Kilt, they had a men's room attendant. He was this young Latino man. Well, young compared to me. He's probably in his 30s, but he was missing his arm from about here down. And he had a robot arm. Now, he was a men's room attendant. That's not a high paying gig. So he didn't buy his robot arm. He was a beta tester for a robot arm making company. Oh, wow. So he would test a robot arm for three months and then he would get their newest, latest upgraded high-tech robot arm. And so it, it, it normally would cost $15,000, $20,000, but because he was a tester and all he did was report periodically what worked and what didn't, mm-hmm. he got this cool robot arm. Well, it, it has a power pack. You know, he can pick things up. And uh, if he's not using his robot arm, he can shut off the power. The thing that was amazing to me about it, two things. One is that in the fingertips, there were sensor pads. He could feel texture. Wow. So he could, you know, if he, if, if he had his eyes closed and rubbed it across uh, marble, he could tell that. Silk, sandpaper, he could tell textures just like he could with his other hand. The other thing, and I wish I knew the name of the company that made his robot arm because I would love to give them a plug, but I have no idea. Someone at that company was sitting, when they were sitting around designing the robot arm, somebody said, you know what? I also have a minor in art. We could make it look really freaking cool because when you met Victor and you saw his robot arm and you walked out of there and you looked at your own, you're like, God. Boy, an upgrade wouldn't be that bad. It would. So, the, the lat, this year in two, in 2020, despite all the bad things, there's a company that has 3D printed a one quarter scale human heart, fully functioning human heart from a single person's biomass. They are within three to five years of being able to print a full size heart from a single person's biomass. So, if you have heart disease and you need a new part, and I don't know the process. I don't know how, how long it takes them to collect the biomass, 
what's involved, but in three to five years, they'll just make you a new one. Mm-hmm. It's estimated yeah. that within uh, the, the uh, a fully functioning, this was three or four years ago, a fully functioning, viable human kidney was 3D printed. There in, in the book that I keep plugging instead of my own, The mm-hmm. Future is Faster Than You Think, Diamandes and Kotler, they talk about a human spine has been 3D printed. And so in addition to this, the things that you're talking about, it's the replacement parts that right. are going to be available. Yeah. There's a company out in California. I think there's several studying this, but of all the things we know about the human body, we know the least about human blood. And there's a company out there, again, don't know their name, but if you were to look at the blood cell of a 25-year-old under a microscope, and let's say it looked like this, mm-hmm. and then you were to look at my blood, a 53-year-old, it would be tiny. It would look like this. It would be small. Oh, interesting. But what they have found is that if you go to this institute who's doing research, it, it's expensive. I think $8,000, and you have to agree to come back three times over the next 120 days. But they give you a transfusion. They pump out your blood and they pump in a, a new batch of blood. And all of it is the blood of children, it's- which, which I love. All of the donors are 18 to 25. So they're all like college kids or what have you. Now, it's and a research company. It's not a vampire covenant. It, it's both. It is actually <laughs> both as far as we know. It's, it could be a vampire it, covenant. Sounds very much like it's a vampire covenant. I, I mean, I don't, I don't think they, I don't think that's their tagline. That's we, oh we, well, maybe we, you can help them with that. We give you the blood of children, <laughs> but I'm not really a fan of children, so it's my tagline. That's I love that about them. Yeah. And so the point being is, when you do this, if I were to get the blood of an 18 year old today mm-hmm. in 120 days, all of that person's blood cells are gone. I've used them up. We replenish in its entirety our blood system every 120 days. So I'm having blood cells die today and I'm making new ones. And so none of the original blood cells would be in there. But when you come back at 120 days and they've been checking these at these points along the way, the blood cells that your body is making are now the 18-year-old blood cells. Oh, that's... Is it possible that I'm wearing a hat and people that are clever will know that it's probably because I'm balding and I am. But what if my blood cells were better? What if, what if, I mean, could my beard go back to red? It's white now. I don't know. And they don't know. They're, they're researching it. The, a lot of this is from, again, I have to, I love Kotler and Diamandes and they're, they're a big deal. I'm quoting their books. This is Mm -hmm. stuff they figured out. I, I can't remember the names of the companies, but go buy Kotler and Diamandis books because they're amazing. And so the amount of things, well, here's another thing that's from their latest book. I take every day. This, this is the uh, author promoting Kotler and Diamandis show. Uh, nice cinema. <laughs> and it, it, they, they talk about this in their book. And apparently- what is that? Nice, Niceum? Niceum, yeah. Niceum. Oh, Niceum. B3. So uh, uh-huh. B3, yep. B3, and okay. Thank you. Apparently, the, our cells, when we get 50 and beyond, cells die. And when we're younger, they get flushed out of our system. As we get older, 
some of the cells die, but they don't get flushed out. They're called zombie cells. And that's not me just loving the word zombie. That's that's sort of the, the common vernacular for them, these, these zombie cells in our system. And what they do is they plug up traffic. So as mm-hmm. our body is trying to figure things out and it's saying, you know what? Uh, he's got he's got bags below his eyes. We, we should probably get some more collagen in there. You know what? That oh, message isn't making yeah. it to the collagen plant in my body. And hence I have bags. It's probably because I've got zombie cells. So I'm taking one niacinamide a day. And this is what? Uh, 500 milligrams, half a gram of niacinamide a day. It's all part of my plan to live to 350. Those, that sounds like a very um, real, realistic possibility. I mean, it, it, with, you know, that, that what you're talking about there, if you can, because that, that's what I wondered about. How are you not going to look like the crypt keeper? But you just answered it. That, yeah. That's how. If you, if you can be infused if, if, if you, with younger people's blood and then your blood cells start copying that blood, I think that's what you, I think that's that, what that, That's exactly saying. it. And that I mean, exactly. you know, podcasts are a lot about people talking about things they don't know about. So I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> I have found some of my Bri- favorite Bri- podcasts. Brian Meeks, well-known guru of talking about things he has no idea about. Oh, that's a good no, one. Known hey, for, I'm going to write that down for my copy. <laughs> known for having no idea really what he's talking about, but he tells a good story. Down. He uses proper copywriting and it's believable. About things we know nothing about. Things I have been trying to cite yeah. my sources though, as best I can on the fly without it, you know, if I had the well, actual I, I do the, the same thing. Copy, yeah. I, I would look up the source. I, but I have the audible mm-hmm. book and that's it's not as easy to cite yeah. references in an audiobook. And I wish I could remember the author of Sapiens because I think you would like his other books as well. He's now come up with uh, several other books about, he's a, he's also a futurist and he, and he talks, he, it's more about the social, the social um, beings that humans are and, and how that works and doesn't work and, and things like that. And he's a very interesting guy to watch on a podcast as well. Um, now, you know, I'm not psychic. I, I'm, this, this is a guess. I'm just, I don't know where this name popped into my head, but could it be Yuval Noah Harari? No, that's it. That's. <laughs> I just made that up. That's I, and that was just a guess. Uh, uh, yeah. I, it was either that or Mr. Smith. I think it's a, and, good, and, and a good guess. Yuval Noah Yuval. Harari. Pay no attention yes. to the now bright glow and from Amazon we, uh, to my right. But, we're both mispronouncing it a little bit, but it's that's oh, close. I'm that's sure. really close. Uh, Sapiens, he's a very interesting person. L- let's just take a look at this because I. Oh, you know what? I'm okay. I'm clicking on it, and I, I am buying it. I am buying it based on your rep- recommendation right now. We we can't continue with the podcast till I get nice. this click. Oh, it's, I like it. I I had it on my shelf for or, or in the piles that exist in my house for months, and then I had a problem with my my eyes and my brain and I couldn't read anymore. It's partly why I started a oh. podcast, a long story, but I started listening to things. So I ended up listening to the audiobook uh, oh, instead of reading it and didn't realize when I first got it, you know, it's, it starts a million years ago. It starts when humans, when sapiens started on earth. So it starts okay. way back when and it tries to um, hypothesize about why sapiens did better than Neanderthals and, and, you know, what our social interactions in our stories, how important stories were for humans after, I think it's 150. 
if you get a larger group of people, you need more stories. And then it, sure. but, and then it goes all the way to the, to the present and how that, you know, kind of why we have all the myths and stories that we have and how much, and, you know, even as talks about the story of, um, of money and the story of, uh, you know, countries and the story, sure. how these are all things that we've created in order to, you know, kind of live with this many people on a planet. It's, it's very interesting. It's yeah, interesting. The, book. Uh, this, this, I'm looking forward to it because I love this subject matter and it, it's a great title. Yeah. I, I had, I literally, Oh, can I, I need to make another book recommendation though. I just, I think it's the best book I've ever listened to. This is a book I was listening to a podcast because a friend sent it to me, the same friend that I'm going to crush in table tennis. And okay. she, she sent me this, this podcast interview with Matthew McConaughey. And he just released a book called Green Lights. Mm -hmm. It's eight hours or so long. He is the narrator. And, and he's got that sweet Matthew McConaughey voice. Right, and right. That sweet cadence. It's just everything about it is... is all right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Yeah, it's uh, so good. He did and, about twenty podcasts for that book, which, which is. Oh, have you have you listened to the book then? Green lights. I've not listened to the book. I've um, started some of the podcasts, but on your recommendation, I'm going to get it. It yeah. is. I'm going to check that out. It is either the best or second best book I have ever read in my life. The, wow. the first one might be a suitable boy by Vikram Seth, which is 1,482 pages of very small type with almost no peaks and valleys about a girl in 1951 India that is the finest piece of writing I can even imagine. I got done with all 1,482 pages that represents one year in her life. And I literally thought to myself, that's the best short story I've ever read. It was staggeringly good. If people like literature, a suitable belly is, is a tour de force. That being said, green lights, is now my second favorite book of all time. And I read a lot. I, I have, I, I love books, but it's his whole, it is going to make me a better person. Just wow. listening wow. to how he has thought about life, how he has gone through it, dealing with fame, his, his brutal honesty about when he was, not doing what he should be doing, the way his parents raised him, his lessons in life, and being aware of when life is giving you a green light, a yellow light, a red light. It's it's fantastic. So if nothing else, folks have, yeah, I, I don't I don't care if I promote my books or not. I do fine, but I just am so passionate about the written word. Well, written or spoken, either one is fantastic. And you are promoting your book by coming on this amazing podcast because it, Brian Meeks will be the name on the podcast. So there, there we, you go. We will People, have links to all of your books. Well, you know, anybody that is thinking about being an author, mm -hmm. I, I've I've been on lots of podcasts. I like talking about that. It is a scary proposition at first. The first book is the hardest book you'll ever write. It's also the worst book you'll ever write. It may be a good book. But the nature of the business is that we we get better. We continue to improve with each one. My fifth book is better than my third book. 
my 12th book was better than my 10th book. I am better at the craft today than I was a year ago. We just keep improving. And if you understand that going in and don't let uh, my friend Craig Martell always says, or well, no, I have several people say it. Point is, don't let perfection be the enemy of pretty good. And that's how you get through in this business, which is very competitive. There are authors out there putting out a dozen books a year. They write one every month. Last year, I wrote five novels in five months. I've done it at that pace. It is something just like any other thing in our life. If we do it every day, and it's the priority, when you wake up, the first thing you're going to do is write and, and you... You're not interested in anything else. Well, obviously, the first thing you're going to do is make coffee. After you make the coffee. Okay, let's be real. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> let's have a moment of honesty there. Uh, I, 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 pe- pe- people immediately are like, well, gosh, I've been here for 70 minutes, and now I know he's a liar. No. <laughs> the first thing you do is not right. It's the coffee. But, but once you've got the coffee and, and you're going, it's yeah, a couple thousand words a day. A a novel is forty to 50,000 words. A novel can be 100,000. But if you're writing 2,000 words a day, that's 60,000 in a month. And the first few days might be hard. But when you're in the moment and you're thinking about the characters and you're thinking about them every day, they become so familiar and comfortable that it just gets easier and easier. And the fifth book that I wrote in that five months was the easiest of the bunch. So... It is a wonderful way to make a living. It's incredibly satisfying when you get a review from somebody who didn't give birth to you. That's a, that's a big moment. And I like I, that description. It's <laughs> a big moment. I, 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 was, I was worried there. I thought uh, my little voice in my head was, oh, that last joke didn't land. No, it's so stoic. It, it did take me a minute. And that joke always lands. What's going on? Is it my delivery? Have no, I lost no. my touch? Is it my beard getting too white? People just, oh, I don't know. But uh, the, the, the point being, if people are interested in writing that book, they've always dreamed about, do it. Because there's so many people out there willing to help. You will have more questions than you can maybe stomach. But those of us that have been doing it for a while, we're happy to give advice. You you hear about 20 different marketing ways. Well, you know what? Do this one thing first. Should I go wide or be exclusive to Amazon? Well, be exclusive to Amazon first. Focus on writing more books. Do these two or three things. Don't worry about if it's selling. You know what sells a book really well? And this, I know, is what Craig Martell always says, writing the next book. Because that juices the algorithm for Amazon. And so there's this this myriad of things that people don't know. Don't let it stop you. Get writing. And when you get that addiction to the craft, then it starts to become easier. And getting your first... $100 $100 a month will be the hardest month. Getting from there to 500 is easier than that. Getting to you know, a few thousand or getting to 10,000, you pick up things along the way. And the most important bit of advice, if I were to, to give advice, is there's not a shot clock. This game, it feels, it feels to most new people 
like every single day. But wow, there's there's new books in my genre. I've got to hurry. I got to get this out. I'm I'm missing the boat. You know what? People have been writing books since the Gutenberg Press. Well, since before then, there's going to always be new books. And the best example of why not to panic is the romance genre. I have maybe 10 romance author friends who are making $100,000 every single month. And I could list them. Wow. And you've heard of none of them. The industry is so big and romance readers consume so many books. I can have 10 seven-figure authors that I walk down the street and I can ask a hundred people. If I went up to Iowa City, which is 30 minutes from me, and walk down the street, I would be surprised if anybody has heard of more than one of them. There might be, ask a hundred people, there might be two people that's heard of one on that list. That's how big the the market is. That being said, the readers are voracious. And in romance, there's only one story. Right, right. It's person A, person B. You know, there's variations. It can be the same gender. They can be boy, girl. They can, uh, but there's rules. At some point, the guy who is always super hot, I don't even think there's a subgenre of dad bod romance. They're they're, they're hot. They're all hot. They're they're often all bad boys, not all bad boys, but mostly bad boys. And they're rock stars and they're billionaires. And it's, it's the same story over and over and over but the readers tune in because they know there's going to be happily ever after. If they don't get an HEA, they will crucify the author. It's, it's, it is not allowed. You just don't do it. And the Romance Writers of America, I think at their conference, they get 5,000 authors. And the indie authors among them are cranking out six to 12 books a year. And that's just the ones that go to the conference. There's literally millions of romance books a year being published to tell one story and they can't make enough of them. The, the readers, the thing about romance, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, uh, great, I'm going to write romance. It's also brutal because you can literally be producing a novel a month and three weeks after your last one, from one of your biggest fans get a nasty email using words like bitch and just so pissed off because it's been three weeks. Why haven't you given a book? Oh my gosh. and, and, And it's not hyperbole. It's not in jest. They are rabid. They're mad. Mouth rabid, the fans. And so if you have a thick skin and you can take the fact that they... They have low tolerance for that. Great, you'll make a lot of money. That being said, I do have an author friend who does one book a year and she makes six figures. She has figured out a way to connect with her fan base so that they understand she's a wife, she's a mother. She does this full time, but she's just not able to write at that pace. She's very funny. And so she has set the stage where they know it's going to be nine to 12 months before the next book and they're fine with it. She puts up all sorts of teasers. Oh, working on the book, making good progress. Would you like to see the cover? 
And they would. And so she keeps them happy. And that's part of the art of working in that genre and keeping them happy. But most authors don't do that. They just rely on writing all the time. So, so there's a, the point of all that is there's a lot of different paths. You can you know, find what you like, write what you want, want, and somebody out there wants to read it. Sorry, I, I, I just, I, I go on and on. We no, that's okay. I, it's been 79. I just realized that one of my recording devices cut off. So, uh, <laughs> oh, that's oh, unfortunate. That's, that's okay. Yeah, I, I it, well, it's uh, the main thing. I have the main recording because I always record in two places. It's just that I don't, the Zoom recording doesn't make my voice sound as good. You're going to sound fine, but... Uh, Oh, that's that's unfortunate. <laughs> well, but, well, then I, and I'm we, fine with we do need <laughs> we do need to to wrap it but, up only because and, and I have I haven't let you talk in twenty minutes, so it's not yeah, like the, the the recording that cut great. out had your voice on it anyway. And that might be true. I, I might I just re, I just started it up again, and it it might work. <laughs> maybe maybe it's uh, maybe it had a gap in the right place. There you go. But uh, yeah, I think uh, I would love to have you on again and just talk books, We, uh, yeah. which won't happen because, you know, <laughs> it's too fun. Because it's clearly, <laughs> I am not somebody who can follow instructions. <laughs> Neither am I. So that's, that's, that has know, been established. That's how that goes. But I do. After the I next have... episode, we can declare me a repeat offender, I'm sure. There you go. Oh, yeah, cool. I uh, The only reason I'm, I'm wrapping it up, I usually don't do this, but today I'm the, I'm, because I'm having surgery tomorrow, I sure. get to go get a a rapid test. So oh. uh, yeah, I get my first COVID nineteen test, and you know, hopefully, people who listen to this in three years will go, "Oh yeah, I vaguely remember that." You know that yeah. that's that's our hope. That would be but nice. Well, that would be nice. Be safe, my friend, and I will be on the show anytime you want. In fact, because of COVID here, if you ever have a cancellation, I mean, chances are I. I'll be ready to go, you know, give it 15 minutes notice. I I would love to be on your show or sub in if you should have an emergency where somebody doesn't show. I'll I'll step in. Well, I will keep that in mind. I mean, you I'll need been, to know what color shirt you're, you're wearing, obviously. Yeah, well, before of course. <laughs> well, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. It's been uh, uh, an easy, easy and fun podcast. And the, the information you give out is um, it's fantastic. It's really, it's really appreciated. So this has been, were you still talking? This is Joel Albrecht. And on the show today, I've had Brian Meeks. We are going to have about a half a dozen or maybe a dozen links to all the different things we talked about. If I can, uh, if we can remember and I can get some of those out there. So check out the description and thanks again for listening. And as always, be good to each other. And in these days, be good to yourself. All right. Thank you very much. That, that was a good show. I, You're fun to talk with. I, I, I could, I could literally just do this every day. <laughs>